Hey everyone, welcome to Psychedelic Radio. I'm Christina Thomas and I'm the president and founder of Myself Wellness. And with me is Charles Patty, the chief education officer of Myself Wellness. Each week we'll be pushing boundaries, breaking taboos, and shedding light on the use of psychedelic medicines. We want to share expert knowledge and firsthand accounts of those who have experienced transformative psychic shifts using psychedelics. Thanks for joining us today. And thank you, for Justin Townshed, for joining us today. He's the CEO and main facilitator at Myocon Medic Meditations. Let me let me redo that. Sorry. Can you, can you, sorry. Say it's, it, head, it correctly for me. Myoco Meditation. Sorry, Myco. Myco. And it's head and it's head facilitator, not main facilitator. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Joining us. Bleh, sorry. <laughs> okay. You're welcome. Journeying with us today is Judge Justin Townsend. This I can't say your name. Justin, Justin Townsend. Townsend. Justin Townsend. Yeah. Sorry. I don't know. I can't read today. <laughs> That's okay. And please don't feel self-conscious. It's this is great. <laughs> this is radio, right? <laughs> Basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Journeying with us today is Justin Townsend. He is the CEO and head facilitator at Myoco Meditations. Thanks for joining us, Justin. Hey, Justin, how's it going today? Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. All right. So I guess the way that we'll start off is the main question we really ask people. What made you get so passionate about psychedelic medicines? I had a, a somewhat difficult childhood, but that's not unique to me. But that meant that my teens and 20s were fraught with generalized anxiety and depression. And I experimented a bit with psilocybin recreationally in my teens and early 20s. Noticed that it was, you know, anecdotally, it was having positive outcomes for me. Um, at the same time, though, I became very deeply interested in what might be termed the human condition, both the individual and society collectively as a whole. Um, and that so many of the ills of the world were down to trauma and intergenerational trauma and poor parenting and all this type of thing. And so in the early 2000s, in 2001, I had my very first ayahuasca experience in an in a indigenous ceremony. Um, that led to me getting more involved in the European psychedelic underground, helping to facilitate these types of ceremonies. Uh, fast forward into Germany, where I learned holotropic breathwork, then ended up teaching it, and then uh, running holotropic breathwork retreats. So I was very involved in the, the alternative healing side of things. Um, but I couldn't, you know, but at the same time, I had a 20 plus, 20, now a 25 year corporate career. So it wasn't really until I joined Myco in 2017 that I came out of the psychedelic closet. So I joined Myco as an advisor initially, uh, then came on board as a partner. And uh, now I'm the CEO of the company as well. So um, it was both a function of my own healing as well as seeing all the profound healing that was happening with all the underground work we were doing in, in, the, in the early 2000s and onwards as well. I love it. You know, I, it, it's it was very, it, you know, psychedelics saved my life. But like, I love this field because it, the, the experiences and the healing is so powerful. It, it just shifts people's direction in life to like, this is what I need to do. This is my purpose. I need to get people access to this because of what it did for me. So are I, you a mind reader now? Because I was about to say the same exact thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I, what I love about psilocybin especially, right, is it's got what's called this trans-diagnostic advocacy. So from a mental health perspective, 
you're looking at the DSM-5, right, all these different categories of mental health conditions and symptomology, and psilocybin can hit pretty much every category in there. So whether it's various forms of depression, anxiety, trauma, fibromyalgia, uh, body dysmorphia, you name it, um, it is just very effective on treating all of those different types of conditions and so much better than most modern pharmaceutical interventions, even combined with talk therapy. No, I, I completely agree with you. I actually, so I, I personally suffered from substance abuse issues for a number of years. I was had severe depression, anxiety, and PTSD, and I self-medicated with drugs and alcohol. And it was mm. actually a six gram penis envy experience where I went out into the universe, uh, connected and became one with everything, realized that we're all it, that we're all yeah. a part of it. And, uh, uh, and you know, I came back down into my body that night and I, I realized that every time I was taking drugs and alcohol, I was literally poisoning God. And right. it was a shell-shocking experience that propelled me to quit using cocaine and alcohol. So, yeah. you know, I thank you for your service to humanity. <laughs> you know, people, people need access to this stuff. This is psilocybin is one of the most healing medicines that I ever dealt with on my journey. So this is a uh, really amazing stuff. I completely agree. And, you know, you can look at all the different neurological impacts of psilocybin, how it impacts the default mode network, how it creates this enhanced cognitive plasticity, how it can create on an emotional level, emotional breakthroughs where you're leaving behind deck or you're processing and going through catharsis decades worth of repressed emotion right um and then you have this this mystical experience aspect of it as well right and we have all of our guests fill out what's commonly known as the mystical experience questionnaire after each dose they have and approximately 41 percent of our guests all have a mystical experience and so in many respects you're taken to the top of the mountain you have the ecstasis you know the sense of connection to everything, the oneness. You get to look down the mountain and see where you've come from, understand why you are where you are now, but you have to descend from the mountain back into the mundane, put that backpack on with all that you've now learned about yourself and continue back through life again. And that's the ongoing benefits that these kind of mystical experiences can uh, deliver as well. No, I, I completely agree. What are your thoughts on I so I heard uh, there's a lot of companies out there that are trying to create compounds that don't have a psychedelic experience attached to it. What do you what do you, what are your thoughts on this area? Because I know it might. I, yeah, uh, I'm OK. I feel very strongly about this. And what really rattled me was a recent article in The New York Times about taking the magic out of magic mushrooms. So article. yeah, yeah. Um, and Richard Carhart Harris the researcher is fully in the in the camp of no no you've got to keep the experience and yet the pharma companies are no no the experience isn't necessary farmers saying we can shorten the experience number one which we know that as psilocybin goes mainstream and you want to scale it from a business perspective the longer the duration of the trip the more expensive it becomes so they want to yeah. shorten it and just focus purely on the neurological aspect well you know, depression has so many different dimensions. It can be environmental. It can be the health of your gut microbiome. Um, if you're an alcoholic, it's comorbid with depression. Um, if you have um, some kind of body dysmorphia or uh, body identity disorder, it's depression, anxiety comes with so many different things that um, just purely treating this on the neurological level alone is not going to get the job done. Um, about 40 to 50% of our guests have 
some kind of childhood sexual abuse in their background, for example, okay? And so that often means that when that trauma happened to them decades ago, um, the psyche has a defensive mechanism called disassociative amnesia. That means the memories of these traumas get relegated to the unconscious mind where they're largely unavailable for recall. And at the same time, the body's first physiological and emotional response to that trauma gets stored in the body. So when our guests come here, um, psilocybin is known as an abreactive as well. That means it can bring up that within you that has the most emotional charge. So our guests will begin to recover the memories of the abuse and their body will begin to start processing um, their original physiological and, and uh, emotional response to that trauma as well. That's what we call a challenging session. But as they go through that and out the other side, lo and behold, the depression starts to lift, the anxiety goes away, and then begins a process of reframing who they are and understanding who they are. So to take out the experience of the trip itself seems ludicrous to me, and it shows a lack of understanding as to what's entailed in a full psychedelic experience. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, you know, like if it wasn't for the actual experiences, I would have never got to where I was trying to get to with, on my healing journey. I couldn't stand myself for a number of years. I literally hated myself and I, mm. I thought God hated me. And, you know, like because I just was punished with this addiction and alcoholism that I was going through. And then when I had that mystical experience and realized that I was a part of it all and that there was no separation, I actually loved myself very much after that experience. And I found yeah. and I found the love for myself through psychedelic healing. But if it wasn't for the magical experiences, and I tell like our clients here all the time, I'm like, it makes life magical again. And I needed that in my life because I didn't know what to believe or, or like, you know, what was going on in my own personal life. So. Exactly. It's like the difference between living in a disenchanted world and an enchanted world. And the enchanted aspect you speak of it kind of reveals the mystery, some of the mysteries of life to you again, and that sense of connection, which is yeah. really, really important. What I like about psychedelics as well, I mean, look, look, we know that modern therapy tends to be CBT, DBT, the gold standard empirically measured approaches to reframing who you are in life and helping you learn to, dig, to, to deal with your reactivity and triggers because you're so emotional, that helps you regulate it. We take a more bottom-up approach that's supported by depth psychology, internal family systems, some gestalt therapy, um, and somatic approaches through the body as well. But many of our guests, when they arrive, will be in dysfunctional relationships, will have a negative narrative about themselves that's been internalized since childhood, will be seemingly at the, at the mercy of everything that life has thrown at them, going through life as a victim, right? So these dysfunctional relationships I keep getting into, this alcohol or substance abuse, this shitty employer of mine and they don't understand that way back when when they were kids certain events happened that led them to feel powerlessness or shame or, or traumatic and these were relegated to the unconscious mind and out of these experiences they developed maladaptive behaviors um, that led to dysfunctional relationships and when they realize there's a connection between that early childhood experience and now how they are presenting as adults they're able to take control back again and psychedelics are really, really good at taking what's in your unconscious mind and presenting it to you so that you can integrate it. So if you find that in certain social situations, you're quiet, you're shy, you don't say so much, you may get the understanding from psychedelics. Ah, that went back to when I was six years old and dad said this to me and it made me climb back inside my shell 
and I've always remained in my shell ever since. So when you end up learning these things about yourself, you can't unknow them. But that's when the beginning of the behavioral change can start as well, leading to more healthy behaviors and less maladaptive ones. It's super deep. Yeah, it is. No, I, I love it. It's you a know, really good description of of everything. No, for sure. Yeah, we we like one of our clients who actually became a really good friend of mine. He said mm. during one of his ketamine experiences that he went back to when he was seven years old and he had got bit by a dog. And then after he got bit by the dog, his dad spanked him. And he right. was just like, I didn't even remember it happening. Exactly. He's like, but this like had such a profound like effect on me that like I just went back, you know, 35 years in my in my trip and, and watched this from a third party perspective. And it's yeah. pretty amazing because after this experience and the rest of his treatments, he this gentleman was having an anxiety attack every day for two years straight and he stopped having them like immediately. It was yeah. amazing and profound. Yeah. And we, what we see, see with our guests is people have dozens and dozens and dozens of early events like this that happen that shape who they are today. And again, relegated to the unconscious mind. But that's what Jung referred to as the shadow aspect of the personality, right? All the things about ourselves we don't want to admit to uh, that nevertheless are still influencing our choices and decisions and how we see the world every day. For sure. So tell us about your company, where you're located at, what you guys got sure. going on. So Micro Meditations is a psilocybin-assisted uh, therapy retreat. We do group work down here. Uh, we were established originally in the very early days of late 2014. So we're probably the longest established um, psilocybin retreat center that's non-shamanic. Okay, so I have a great deal of respect for the shamanic knowledge and lineage, absolutely. But that's not what we do here. What we're trying to build here is what you could call the gold standard for group psilocybin-assisted therapy. So um, we do between three and four retreats a month. Each retreat is between 10 to 12 people per retreat. Um, the age range is from late teens all the way through to mid 80s. But the typical cohort is between mid 30s through late 60s, early 70s. There's about a 50-50 split between male and female. Um, each retreat team consists of a retreat leader. It's typically a licensed therapist and has many thousands of hours of experience personally as well as leading groups. Um, the retreat leader is supported by a lead therapist and then the rest of our team are facilitators and they in their own right are either licensed therapists, licensed clinical social workers or some kind of counseling um, experience in there as well. The retreat takes place over seven days and over those seven days we have three different dosing sessions. Um, we know that other centers will offer a one dose retreat or a two-dose retreat. What we found is, is the three-dose protocol works well for the majority of guests we've seen because, um, first of all, there is no one-size-fits-all when it comes to suicide, mm -hmm. okay? Yes. And we are never going to dump a guest in the deep end on their very, very first experience because most have never had psychedelics before, right? Yes. Um, so we take them in slowly to begin with to allow them to have that first experience and dip their toe in the water, but that allows us to assess their tolerance and sensitivity. Then comes the second dose, and that's where the work really begins. We'll step up quite substantially in dose, and then again for the third dose. And what we tend to see is by the end of the week, there's been an arc to the, each different trip experience and an arc to the week, and you can generally come home um, with a lot of work done. And frankly, it makes me cringe to say this sometimes, but transformed. Um, we see so much transformation down here. I do realize that the Oprah Book Club sold lots of books and CDs about how to transform your life back in the 80s and 90s. <laughs> but we all know how hard that can be, right? To shake old habits and create new behaviors. Yeah. And so 
Um, the great thing about psilocybin as well is that from a therapeutic perspective, if you were working back in the US with a, with a, with a patient or a client, it can often take years or decades for their defenses to drop so that you can really get at the underlying material, the core material. Um, with psilocybin and the reset of the default mode network, those defenses drop literally overnight. So we get, to, you know, many of our guests say it's like 10 or 20 years of therapy in one week. So that's I, the program that we do down here. Yeah, I love it. Like Christina and I are in alignment with everything that you just talked about right there. Like with the, the dipping your toes in the water to the, you know, yeah. to having people get comfortable with the medicine so they can really surrender and let go to the medicine and get yeah. into these deep transcendent states. You know, I think that what you guys do are doing out there sounds really fantastic. And I appreciate everything you're doing for your service to humanity. Well, thank you. And another important element to our approach is that when you're coming on retreat, you'll get sent an online survey about two weeks before you arrive that's um, that are rating scales. So rating scales for PTSD, depression, anxiety, alcoholism. If you indicate some kind of childhood abuse on your application form, we'll send you the adverse childhood event questionnaire. And then we know your baseline coming in as, as well as we can do. And then once you've left the tree, you'll get that, that same survey every month, three, six, nine, and 12. We get to track your progress, track the outcomes, and that feeds back into our protocols and how we develop things over time. Uh, another case in point, I guess, is that we decline between 20 to 25% of all of our applications. Um, one of the reasons for that is that if you have a personal or familial history of psychosis, schizophrenia, or bipolar disorder, that's an automatic exclusion. But there are other conditions that we weed out via, via a video screening um, or telephone call. We'll, we'll, maybe the person's not stable enough. We won't have them down here. Another reason might be another red flag. If we know that person has childhood sexual abuse that went on in a complex PTSD fashion, but they've never addressed it in therapy, coming down on retreat and working on that for the first time with psychedelics is probably not recommended. So we would exclude them as well. For sure. No, I, I yeah. agree. All right. So Justin, you don't have to answer this because it could be proprietary information. And I completely understand that. But when you're talking about the the amount of psilocybin, or if you would talk about the amount of psilocybin, because I know like at our clinic, there is no one size fits everybody also. But are you guys getting up into like macro, like five gram doses of psilocybin out there? Oh, okay. Terrence McKenna's basically. <laughs> yeah. So this isn't proprietary. Um, and we do have a reputation for working with high doses, but that isn't out of some sense of being egotistical. We work with high doses as they're needed because they are needed. So let me say, first of all, that um, we have our own cultivation operation here. We grow our own mushrooms and mm -hmm. I send them away to what's called the Science Research Council here in Jamaica who lab test them. So I know exactly how much psilocybin and psilocin is in each one. Then we standardize them by drying them, grinding them into a powder, and each dose is a half gram capsule. Okay. Yeah. So to talk you through the typical dosing regime, that first dose is going to be in the three to five gram range. Okay. Wow. Second dose is going to be typically anywhere from eight to 10 or 12 grams. And then wow. the third dose, it's not uncommon for that to go up into the high teens, 16, 17, 18 grams. But there's a rationale for this. If you are treating someone that's 72 years old, has treatment-resistant depression, has had years of talk therapy, nothing has worked, no medication has worked. They've even had maybe electroconvulsive therapy. They've lost some memory in the process. They are hanging on by their fingertips, and they are, they've given up on life, right? Yeah. And be, 
And having had depression over such a long period of time, if you like, the needle in the groove of the record is so deeply worn that it takes a lot of psilocybin to break up what I would call these really ossified neural pathways they have, okay? A three or four gram dose is just not going to do it. So with those really acute scenarios, there's a need to step it up as we go versus somebody that might be in their early 20s and has some mild reactive depression and a bit of anxiety would dose them low. So, um, yeah, it's not uncommon for us to go up into the mid to high teens by the end of the week. But we're very experienced in dealing with that. Very experienced, yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's why around 41% of our guests have mystical experiences. But as I tell all of our guests when they get here, we are not a mystical experience ATM machine. Um, you know, maybe there's some other stuff to work on first, and then maybe you'll get your mystical experience. So here's a question I have for you. Mm. Because of your expertise in psilocybin, what are your thoughts on Lemon Tech? Mm. We do incorporate lemon tech down here. Okay. Um, sometimes there are metabolic reasons for that. People, you know, so we dose everybody at the same time. They come up at the same time. They're in the peak state for the same time. Then they come down at the same time. If people are taking longer to metabolize, metabolize psilocybin, um, that would be a, re- uh, um, a reason for lemon tech. If after dose one, dose two, and let's say dose two is a seven to eight to 10 gram range. If that's barely moving the needle, then the third dose will likely include a lemon tech as well, which we know, and you'll be aware of this, means a quick onset, a, a more intense experience, but often more short-lived. Yeah. So we'll do a combination of the lemon tech plus an extra three or four grams of dried mushrooms just to prolong it a bit. And we find that really helps people um, get over whatever conscious or unconscious resistance they have um, to surrendering as well into the experience. Another thing that we're looking for, um, just as part of our observational work that we do, um, what we tend to see is that the more neurotic somebody is, um, the more likelihood they'll have a challenging experience. And that also includes um, a reluctance to surrender and fully let go to the experience. They'd rather have mask up doing something other than have their mushroom session. So keeping an eye on a person's degree of neuroticism, um, allocate more staff to that person and, and help them surrender the, into the experience as well. For sure. I have yeah. I'm surrendering. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what are your thoughts on, I mean, so, you know, we're in all of these clinical studies right now and they're synthesizing psilocybin. What are your thoughts on uh, synthetic psilocybin? Okay. Well, I'm not a scientist. So what I will say is I'm familiar with, very familiar with the concept of the entourage effect from the cannabis sector, right? Um, you know, beyond psilocybin and psilocin, there are other, I guess, molecules, compounds such as biocystin that all work together with the psilocybin and psilocin to impact the trip. So I think, I suspect there is a lot more to be learned about the entourage of molecules and, and compounds that exist within mushrooms that will help um, research in the future, maybe to target more specifically certain conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not anti-synthesis. I just don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater by assuming that only psilocybin and psilocin are going to be the active ingredients. You know, and I agree with you. And, and you know, also like I, I see 
I, you, you, we always get the argument of, oh, well, you know, you can't calculate how much actual like medicine is in the or psilocybin is actually in the mushrooms, but it seems like you guys are getting everything tested out there anyway. So you do have yep. it down through a fine science and that yep. kind of, test it. yeah, and you can test it, which really goes against what, you know, the ph- pharmaceutical companies are, are saying right now and everything. So, yeah, yeah I don't know. I'm, I, I, I think that we should go natural when we can. Um, I think I also do think that there is a place for everything and everything is divine. So, you know, the so just working with what modality is going to be better for that individual. And hey, listen, if if the synthetic stuff gets out to the masses because people feel more comfortable doing that because it's synthetic or, you know, it's whatever ends up working works. But I'm definitely a huge fan of all natural medicines when we can use them. I tend to agree. I think there's a way I would love to see psilocybin go mainstream, but then there's a way it's actually going to be, right? Yeah. And at the end of the day, I think there is there, there is a scale of economies and standardization that you can get from synthesizing psilocybin versus trying to cultivate it and grow it and scale it that way. Um, it's probably a lot cheaper and easier to standardize via synthesis. Um, and I think as the industry grows incrementally to begin with, it's going to become quite disruptive. It's going to become disruptive to pharma models, to standardized therapeutic approaches and the medical approach. Where there is disruption, there'll be opportunity. But at the end of the day, you know, capitalism, the beast that it is, and I'm, not, I'm no anti-capitalist, but, you know, it's going to take the most efficient and cost-effective route to market and profitability, yeah. most likely. No, you know, I listen, I, I agree. And, and honestly... I think what we were just saying is whatever really helps break the taboos associated with this stuff and gets it out to the masses, everybody will go in the direction they want eventually. But, you know, I joke around and call ketamine the Trojan horse of the psychedelic renaissance that's underway right now, just because it's FDA approved. I have friends in law enforcement that I can be like, Hey, listen, I have an FDA approved anesthetic. You could come do in my facility, give them a profound psychedelic experience. And it might open their eyes to doing other psychedelic compounds where if I was like, Hey, listen, I got mushrooms at my facility, (laughs) come eat them. They might might be looking at me a little bit different if I said so, you know? Exactly. And I think, you know, there is the individual being healed by psilocybin, um, that to one side, I think there is an acute mental health crisis in the West that seems to be getting more acute with every generation. That's been amplified by COVID. It was pre-existing before COVID. COVID amplified that. And then you've got these, if you like, all the political polarization that's happening in the West. You've got the culture wars going on in the West and this huge lack of social cohesion. And the great thing we get to see on retreats in each retreat is that You know, America's this rich melting pot of belief systems and races and creeds and colors and orientations that when the guests get here, they turn up with all of that. But after the first dose, it all just falls away and doesn't seem to matter. Yeah. And then I think what we see down here is by the end of the week, these guests are so well connected with each other. People that you would pass on the street and not give a second look to are really engaged with each other. And it's almost like a microcosm of how I think the world could ideally be once this does go mainstream, it's going to bring social cohesion back again and a more moderate approach to uh, certain, whether it's political or cultural stances. And out of that, it's a good thing for society. I, I couldn't agree more, honestly. Yeah. That it, go ahead. No. No, it, no, no, no. Go ahead. Well, no, it changed. It changed. You know, psychedelics changed my life like that a lot. Like, you know, like yeah. once I realized that we're all one. Like yeah. one consciousness connected there is no separation it's just an illusion it's like i 
real I realized at that moment in time that I might not like everybody, but I gotta love everybody. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and and, and yeah. it made me more open to making, but you know, relationships that I might not have had with people in general, and opened the door to that. So I, you know, I think that yeah. this is gonna be you know, huge for the transformation of humanity into a higher state yeah. of consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you, you totally sold me on, you know, your method of, of uh, psilocybin therapy, but I want to talk to you just quickly before we have to go, because we only have a few more minutes left here about harm reduction and what you're seeing when people are just trying to do these type of macrodoses and journeys on their own or with somebody that, is pretending to be a shaman or facilitator. I think that's important to know. Very. Yeah. So as the gold rush around psychedelics has begun, it's attracting certain personality types, both male and female. Um, Some that want to be part of it for the image and the power and the the gold that they think is associated with this. Um, That's one level of concern. Um, But I can tell you that once this call between us is done the next person i'm speaking to is a guest that booked to come out here in october that now isn't coming because she decided to have a private session back in the u.s as part of the underground with what i would term a plastic shaman somebody with maybe a year or two under their belt a few doses that went well for them they've got all the props and the instruments and the feathered headdress and the tambourine and the white Mm -hmm. robes but they are not equipped to be administering or working with psilocybin. That guest is now not coming because she got blown wide open. There was no screening for her. So the the underground person she was working with didn't know that she has some early abuse from childhood, that she wasn't educated that that could come up for processing and she was blown wide open. And what we also get to see down here a lot is a lot of what I would call the ayahuasca casualties people that have been to a retreat center far down the Amazon river, um, got blown wide open. And if they were lucky, dumped to the hotel or an airport to come home again. So, um, a lot can go wrong. I mean, when the default mode network is reset, it can sometimes feel like you're dying. This is the ego dissolution, ego death, right? Um, and the, the flip side is, as I've talked about already, the ab reactive properties means that if you have some trauma within you that has an emotional charge that's been repressed, that will likely begin to bubble up. So if you're a bit of a babe in the woods and you're ignorant of all of this and you take what you think is a reasonable dose of psilocybin with a credible facilitator and you've got the death experiencing that you think you're dying as well as your rape trauma coming up, um, that is when that begins to happen, it just sends people sideways, obviously, right? And so I think that... um, it's a very, very powerful substance, and there is a need for standardization and a degree of licensing and regulation. Um, I don't think the medical model is appropriate, um, but I think a solid therapeutic model with highly trained and experienced individuals is appropriate. For sure. Yeah, I know just what we're seeing in the ketamine world is so similar. I mean, they're sending ketamine to people's homes and all these, you know, people are, they have no psychedelic experience. And then we've, we've heard a story where they accidentally sent too much and he, it was on one of his first couple of, of journeys and, you know, same thing. He was blown wide open. He, he thought he died. He had a death experience and he was just at home on his bed, 
nobody around him, nobody to hold yeah. his hand, nobody to help integrate him. And I just can't imagine how terrifying something I like think, that could I, be. I think that's one of the most important parts about having somebody that's there with you or holding your hand through the mm-hmm. process of this. Because like, when you have that, like I've had those death experiences and I've, you know, I've died during my trips, not mm. physically everybody, but like you, it's psychologically, a, it's a yeah. psychological death basically. And, you yeah. know, I think that like, that's why you really don't hear of when I'm talking about the at home stuff. Like you don't hear of like a shaman sending ayahuasca to somebody's house and saying, Hey, good mm. luck. Go take this on your yeah. bed. You know, you know, <laughs> report re- re- report back to me after you come down from your trip because, like, you know, yeah. you think you died, you know, yeah, and if you didn't yeah. Have somebody I, yeah. There to actually ground you and be like, hey, you're yeah. okay, like, like you're okay, this happens, yeah. but it's perfectly normal. I think it this is where it can be much more harmful than beneficial. Mm. I agree, and that, and it's very, I mean, going through the ego dissolution or ego death is very common to the experience. And we spend a lot of time doing psychoeducation about all of this. So I guess the world prepared in the preparation beforehand. And then we'll be there with them as they're surrendering in. And we're observing them as they're kind of crossing that threshold. That initial hump you have to get over when you take mushrooms, right? And then we're we're with them as they cross that threshold. And then we're also there alongside them as they're going through their catharsis or their ecstasis or both. Amazing. Yeah. So if somebody wanted to contact you, how would they do that? They can contact me, uh, Justin, at mycomeditations.com. If they're interested in coming uh, to work, we're always on the lookout for therapists and, and facilitators that, that are willing to come out to Jamaica for long stretches, obviously. Um, and check out our website, mycomeditations.com. And one thing I'm very proud of as a company is we have about 185-star reviews on TripAdvisor right now. These are long testimonials. And believe you me, each guest I speak to majoritively has gone through each and every one of those testimonials. And what's good about them is they'll often find their own story within somebody else's testimonial and get to hear about the outcomes as well. So that's very confidence building. That's fantastic. Well, I want to say thank you, Justin, for joining us today. And thank you to all of our listeners for, for taking this journey with us on this edition of Psychedelic Radio. You can download our past episodes of our program by going to CannabisRadio.com or by subscribing to our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. And if nobody's told you that they love you lately, we we do. do. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.